The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Jody. Here we are again. It's New Year's. Yes, it is. It is New Year's. and The new year, bringing a new you. Exactly. And while we, um, you know, we talked um, on Christmas Day, we talked about, you know, our wish for the listeners. You know, it's pretty much still the same thing that for anybody who's listening who has a friend, a loved one, or a family member who's addicted, our New Year's wish would be that you get them in a treatment. Yeah. And if you, you know, if, if a listener is actually an addict, then we would wish for you for the new year that you get into treatment and that this is the year you become sober and stay sober. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I was in rehab once upon a time during the new year and I made that resolution that I was never going to use again. And, you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that because who knows where I would be had I not been there or done that. <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to pride myself on the fact that, you know, during the holidays every year, I'm here to help these guys through because there are people there to help me. Right. And so, I, you know, if anyone out there is listening, if anyone out there is struggling, please, please, now is more of a time than ever. Get help and get help now because – what better way to ring in the new year than to have a new you, to be a sober you, and to be the best you you can be? Exactly. Oh, that there was very, is, that there's was, no better uh, resolution. Sorry. That was very Dr. Susie of me. It was. It, yes. I don't know that I would ever have said that, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, so we have a guest today. Okay. And I wanted to bring on one of our recent graduates who, believe it or not, his drug of choice was marijuana. Okay. And you and I talk about regularly how marijuana is as, is as big of a deal as it is. And, um, you know, people are getting really messed up on the stuff that's out nowadays. And here we are. We have somebody that came to intensive inpatient rehab just for marijuana. There you go. And who is our, who is our guest today? His name is Zach. Cool. Hello, Zach. Hey, how are you? Good. Thank you for telling your story on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I will tell you that we have interviewed other graduates from the program, and the episodes where we do interviews of graduates are, they're listened to a lot, because there are people out there who need to hear your story. Mm-hmm. So I really, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, no problem. So... What I usually like to just start with is I want you to start at the beginning. How did you get started on drugs? Um, Well, I first started using drugs when I was 15. And what had happened was I skipped school with a friend one day. And we went driving around. And he kept asking me, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't care. Whatever you want to do. So we finally pull into the parking lot at the city park from where I'm from. And um, we start walking around, and then after a while, you know, we just stop and sit on a bench, and he just like, here, do you want one of these? And to me, it looked like a cigarette at first, you know? And I was like, oh, it's a cigarette. I've done that before. But I'm like, I'm like, sure. And he's like, oh, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, uh, what is it? Because I felt like a little unsure that I wasn't right the first time. And so he's like, oh, this is, a, it's pot. And I'm like, First thing I thought was, oh, crap, drugs. 
And I'm like, wow, do I really want to do this? And the first, the first few things that kept popping through my head is, okay, I know this is bad. I know I shouldn't do this, but, you know, I don't want him to think that I'm, you know, not cool or I don't know if he'd stop hanging out with me. So I was like, sure, I'll smoke with you, even though not knowing what it was going to end up doing to me later down the road. And um, so we smoked and I kind of just, I liked it at first, you know. I was like, wow, this is cool. And then I started hanging out with all these other people that did it. And I felt like it made me more sociable and more likable. And I was just like, oh, wow, great. This is a really great answer to, you know, all my social anxiety problems I feel like I've been having. And, you know, oh, I'm having problems at home with mom and dad and my family members. Let me just smoke this to feel better. At some point, it just, you know, I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I stopped going to work and I would just smoke all day. I stopped going to family events. I canceled birthday plans with my sister one time because I had gotten off of work, smoked, and totally just had forgotten that I had had plans because I was high. Right. She calls me and she's like, well, are we still going? And I'm like, um, no, I'm sick. <laughs> cough, cough. So it actually, it's, it led to other things as well. Um, after a while, you know, uh, the pot, I didn't feel like it worked anymore. So I resorted to looking for other things to make me feel good about myself and about the situations I was in, like Coke, ecstasy, and then as well as prescription pills, Xanax, and all the other stuff. And then I started using those as well in mixture with the pot, uh, hoping that all these things could you, could could make me feel somewhat better and somewhat normal. Right. Let me stop you for one second, Zach. So you mm. said that, well, you know, you were smoking dope and so you weren't working, but didn't you start while you were in school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, and how did this affect like your your schoolwork and your grades and your and that whole ap- ap- part of your life? How did, how did it affect that? Well, Ironically enough, I actually lost a lot of weight after I started smoking pot, which was not good. I actually started eating less and just not eating at all sometimes. Um, and as far as my grades went, they lowered. And I remember I got, it got really close to the end of the semesters, and I would be doing whatever I could to just get them up to a passable grade, which is like a C back from where I'm from. Yeah, so my uh, GPA and my schooling and social life all just kind of, like, went away all because of the decisions I made to start smoking pot and doing other drugs. So did your parents notice? Did they start questioning you about what's happening with your grades? Um, yeah, they started questioning, but I, I don't think at that point they had figured out, you know, that I was using drugs. They probably just figured, you know, that I was putting my attention on other things like friends and work. And they just thought that, you know, he's not committing to school because he's committing to all these other things. But then after a while, you know, work kind of blew and then the friendships kind of blew and then family connections blew. And I just secluded myself off from family, friends, and everybody else that I knew. And I was just in this little, basically like a drug-induced, world majority of the time all by myself right and and prior to 
prior to smoking marijuana on a, on a regular basis, what extracurricular things were you into? I was a part of like, I was part of band club, orchestra, theater. I was the mascot for my high school. I was on the prom committee. You played I, an instrument? You played a musical instrument? Yeah, I played um, violin, trombone, and a little bit of piano. Okay. And what did, what, you know, I, I asked you this question because I think, and I think it's kind of false data that, mm-hmm. and Jason, you understand this where, oh, you know, like, Smoking marijuana or doing drugs is going to help your artistic ability, right? Which yeah. I which I don't think is which I'm fairly certain is not the case. But what happened to, you know, your abilities to play instruments, Zach, or do a lot of those extracurricular things? What happened with those? So I totally agree with you that smoking marijuana does not help your artistic abilities at all. What it actually does is. It makes you lazy to a point to where you don't really care about it anymore and you don't have enough energy to actually do something. You're basically just sitting there. So as far as like where I went with my musical instruments, I slowly started practicing less. I stopped going to practices and then I eventually just ended up quitting and there were times where I'd be like, oh, yeah, I should practice. But then I was like, but I don't feel like doing it. I don't have the energy to do it. I'd rather just sit here on the couch, stoned out of my mind. Wow. Which is not a healthy state of mind to even be in. Right. Right. <laughs> and so when, at what point did, what, at what point did you get some sort of treatment and what was that experience? So when I was 19... I um, had been smoking pot since 15, and I was had done some other drugs here and there, but I just felt really low at that point. I felt like nothing was worth, it wasn't worth getting out of bed for anything. Pot was the only thing that made me feel good. I quit hanging out with my friends, quit hanging out with my family, and then at one point I was feeling, I guess, having suicidal thoughts, and, you know, I tried to commit suicide one day so I ended up getting sent to a psych ward after an attempted suicide and that's when the doctors diagnosed me with bipolar uh, depression anxiety and ADHD and so then they put me on all these medications like none of which you had before you started smoking marijuana yeah, none of which I had before I started smoking marijuana. It's like, Jason, what's wrong with this picture? Well, the, 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 the what's wrong with this picture is that you have doctors that are knowingly diagnosing people with severe mental illness while they're on the under the influence of drugs. And 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 do you think maybe it might have been the drugs that caused some of that? I mean, but absolutely. Is. Hello. That's the thing. He wasn't like that before drugs. Right. He's not, I can tell you, he's not like that now. He's right. clean. Yeah. And so what the doctors had in front of them was a person that was going up and down and acting erratically and all this stuff and never probably really cared to ask about what's your drug use like? What, what substances do you use? Yeah, well, let's do a drug test and see. None of that. He probably was sat in front of a doctor for about 10 minutes and left with diagnoses, medications, and... Sent, kind of sent on his way back to his unit until he was released. And I think that's terrible because you take a person that's already mostly broken 
And that's why they're on drugs. There's a part of them that feels kind of broken. There's a part that feels missing. And right. tell them, well, you know, wow, I mean, there really is something wrong with you. And it's, it's absolutely terrible. Wow. Hey, Zach. Mm-hmm. You said that you tried to commit suicide. How did you do that? Um, I was planning, I had swallowed a bunch of pills and I was, uh, planning on slitting my wrist and I was in the bathroom and I had myself locked in there and my significant other at the time burst, uh, broke down the door after I sent him a very, you know, worrying text message and he came in there and he stopped me halfway before I could get to slitting my wrist and he stayed with me the rest of the day and made sure I wasn't going to do anything in that. At some point, I just decided to, you know, go commit myself because for the longest time, I just had, like Jason said, I felt broken. I felt like something was missing. I felt sad all the time. I didn't want to get out of bed, and I just did not like myself. And again, I didn't know that the street drugs I was using was playing an effect into the way I was feeling, you know, because I had always... Um, thought that, you know, street drugs make me feel good because I would always take them when I felt bad. I never in my wildest dreams thought that they were actually making me feel this way. Right. And so I went and uh, self-committed myself, the fir- committed myself the first time. And then a couple months later, I, after I had been to, through the psych ward and on the psych meds for a few months, I stopped taking them because... I personally did not, I've never been, I've never agreed with drugging people with all these psych meds and them basically being a zombie, because that's basically what I felt like. I didn't feel like my normal self. I would just sit there and I would stare at things or I would sleep all the time. And then half the time with all these, with all the pills I was taking prescribed by the doctor, the side effects would cause the same thing they were trying to get rid of. And I'm like, that was like my major like deciding point to get off them. I was like, well, what's the point of taking these if they're going to cause newer worsening depression or newer worsening anxiety when I'm trying to get rid of this? So why not just throw those out the window? And I did that for a few months. I threw those out the window and I actually wasn't on any street drugs at all for a while, for a couple months. And then I went back to street drugs and then I went back to feeling like crap again and... That's when I was put into the psych ward again by my family because they thought, you know, I was bipolar. And that's when the doctor that time prescribed me lithium and Seroquel. Wow. Yeah. Zach, what what got you started on street drugs again? Um, What got me started on street drugs was just, you know, social anxiety. My home life, I didn't necessarily feel was the great greatest thing in the world, and I just felt a lot of pressure coming from lots of different uh, areas of my life, and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I decided, let me take this, because I know this makes me feel good, whereas everything else in my life, I don't feel so well about. Right. And I just started using it basically as a crutch. If I had a bad day at work, I'd go smoke. If I got into a fight with my mom, I'd go smoke. You know? And it just, it just led into this chain effect thing that just inevitably destroyed my relationships and destroyed myself to the point of where I just wanted to end it. Right. Okay. And then you ended up back in the psych ward again, but this time your family committed you because they thought you had mental disorders or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
how what how, what was the result of that treatment? I know you said they put you on uh, Seroquel and lithium. So the result of that treatment was I was actually there for a, about a week, and it took me. I literally sat in front of the doctor for like like Jason said a good ten minutes, and he's like, "Oh, you're bipolar type." One, I no type two, he said, and um, we'll also give you Seroquel as well. And I started taking those, and I it was ridiculous. I wasn't even in tune. I mean, I was already out of tune with my body, but that was like an outer body experience that I would not suggest to anyone. <laughs> right. I remember that's insane. <laughs> that's absolutely insane. What they'll do? Oh well, the drugs cause this. Well, let's just give you this. This this will be better. Mm-hmm. And and lithium is one of those drugs that when you're on it, you need to consistently and constantly be given blood tests to make sure your body's not going toxic to it. And so, I was in the hospital for a week, and then my mom and my stepdad came and visited me when for one of the visitation days, and they were like, "So we found a rehabilitation center for you, and it's called Narconon." And they are all natural and they, you don't have to take any prescription pills and they get you off of drugs with vitamins and all these other courses that they do. And they help you find the underlying cause that led to you beginning doing drugs. And how did they find Narconon? Um, I believe they found Narconon through the internet, but they ended up calling Narconon International and talking to a lady there and she got them linked up with Narconon Suncoast. And I then came here on August 21st and I started withdrawal, which was crazy. Um, (laughs) It wasn't bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought. And apparently from other people's stories, I didn't have it as bad. But I remember I had gotten out of the hospital that on the 21st at like two. And so I missed, I didn't take my dosage of lithium and Seroquel for three and at 10 o'clock. So by the time I get to Narconon, I'm- You're already in withdrawal. Yeah, I'm stuttering. I can't form a thought and people are asking me all these questions and I feel like a complete idiot because I sound like a complete idiot. It was, oh, it was awful. But then after that first night, you know, I woke up the next morning and I met a few of the staff members here and they were just, you know, absolutely great. They got me through withdrawal, and they started doing these things called assists and locationals. And the locationals were great because, you know, I was, like, focusing on things that were around me when normally I would have been focusing on things that were inside on in my head, you know? Right. And then the assists just, you know, like, calmed my body. And I, for a while, I had, like, a little bit of shakes in my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after a while, those went away, and then we started doing Be There's and Confronts, which was super relaxing. So, Zach, since our listeners may not know what that is, describe what Be There's and Confronts are. So a Be There is a what they call a training drill, which students do and withdrawn throughout the rest of the program as well. But basically what you do is you sit there three feet apart from another student or staff member, and... The goal of it is you're supposed to be able to comfortably be there. So you basically sit there three apart, three feet apart from another person and you close your eyes and you just sit there and you have to be in that very moment and you don't want to like think about anything in your head. You just, you have to comfortably be there. And this was done during the withdrawal? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was, that was, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, the idea of just being there comfortably with another person is probably not something that you can do when you're addicted to drugs because, and I'm, and I'm talking out of school here, not having experienced myself, but it would, it would make sense to me that the only thing that makes you feel comfortable really for a while are the drugs. Mm-hmm. And so now as the drugs start to come out of your body and out of your system, you start to regain the ability to just kind of be there and be you. Yeah, definitely. I've seen some people, it's crazy. I've seen some people like squirm or like look away cause they can't handle just like being in front of another person. And I've seen people just start crying and I've seen people just get mad and just be like, well, this is stupid and just flip out basically. Right. And then confronts are done the same way as well. But this time you're three feet apart and your eyes are open. So you have to comfortably confront them. And as well, you're still trying, you're supposed to be in the same in the moment and you have to confront that person, which that is also a hard one to do because people you're three feet apart, but still, it's really hard for two people who don't really know each other and you can't talk or anything to just be there and look confront at another look, person. Yeah, look, at look, look at him. Yeah. Yeah. I so, can imagine. I, 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 you know, I, you know, I will tell you that having done something similar while not coming off of drugs is not necessarily easy. So when you have the added, what can I say, the added aspect of coming off of drugs at the same time, I, that must be quite challenging to do that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah absolutely you know it is and you know it's funny you know most of the things that other programs do is they give you drugs to come off drugs to keep you comfortable and we actually guide these guys into being comfortable without any drugs like you said before exactly but you use vitamins and you use minerals sure. and you, mm-hmm. you have the tools to help help this process along Right, we do. And we also do have some comfort meds. You know, if a person's blood pressure goes up, we have medication for that. If a person has extreme nausea and they can't keep any food or liquid down, we do give medicine for that. We just don't give them narcotics to come off narcotics. Right, exactly. Because so, that defeats the purpose. So, okay, so after you, you know, you're done with withdrawal, you were done with withdrawal and you were, you know, you did these various drills and things. Mm-hmm. Then you were in the New Life Sauna or the New Life Detox program, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after withdrawal, I went to sauna and I was in sauna for 40 days. And you have to take, they give you a vitamin regimen to um, help keep your body healthy while you're in the sauna because you're gonna you're sweating out a lot of toxins that you right. have put into your body over the past however many years. So they'll give you, um, they give you this one vitamin and it's called niacin. Uh And basically what the niacin does is you take the niacin and then you go running. And then, because drugs and residual toxins can get stuck in your fatty tissues. Right. And you go running after you take the niacin and it dislodges the drugs and fatty, the drugs from the fatty tissues and releases it back into your bloodstream. And then you go sit in the sauna and you sweat it out and the the niacin will give you like a red kind of like itchy flush for a little bit and you'll just sweat out the drugs and sometimes you can re-experience the effect of a drug you've taken in the past and, and let me ask you um 
So you had not only marijuana and various street drugs, but you also then had, you know, several different psychiatric medications. Mm-hmm. Of all of that, what, what would you say caused like the most reaction for you in the sauna? So fun story with that. Day one of sauna, I was in the box and I just started stuttering and I couldn't form a thought. And the other students that were in the box were, you know, trying to ask me questions and talk to me. And I just had to step out because I couldn't form a thought and I just felt like a bubbling buffoon. And I stepped out and nobody else was inside the sauna at the moment. And I was like, I just remember feeling the sudden wave of, wow, I feel like alone, you know? And then I saw them through the window outside, so I stepped outside with them for a moment, and then they all went back inside, and then I got that sudden feeling that I was alone again. And I'm still stuttering and babbling, and I'm, like, trying to figure out what's going on. And then I come back inside after everybody else goes in, and the sauna I see asks me how I'm doing, and I turn to him, and I just start crying. And I had no idea why, but I found out after I calm down and talk to the sauna I see that I was running out the prescription drugs that the doctors had given me. So I was running out Xanax, Cymbalta, Lithium, Seroquel. And it was basically, it was horrible, really. I just felt like alone, confused and lost. And it was, I was crying. I just didn't know how to handle what my body was doing and how I was feeling, you know? Wow. Yeah, it was. And it it makes sense because you said that when you first came to Narconon and you were already doing some withdrawal of the lithium and the Seroquel, that you had a little bit of the, you know, the stuttering and the difficulty communicating. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense that as that as that's coming out of the fat tissues in the body, you might experience that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I actually have to say while in sauna, I'm I ran out more prescription pills than I did street drugs. And I don't know how that works, but maybe I I really don't. But it's really interesting that I ran those out more or re-experienced those. Well, I think that part of the, you know, here's Miss Scientist, not really Joni, but I think that, you know, a lot of the problem is with, with those psychiatric and prescription medications is they're completely synthetic. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though they, quote unquote, have FDA approval, there are no long-term studies of, what the long-term effects of those various chemicals are on the body. And so I think, you know, versus heroin, which as horrible as it is, or marijuana is, you know, to some degree natural. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that it makes sense to me that, you know, you would get some pretty bizarre reactions from psychiatric medications. Mm-hmm. Any, any other sauna experiences you want to share? Um, there's, there's this one time we had to go over to the Narconon, Louisiana because of a hurricane that happened. When That's I first, right. I remember Irma. Yeah, Irma. Irma. And I remember I was sitting in the box and suddenly I just got chills. Like I was cold and I'm like, what in the world is happening here? Right. And, and it's like a hundred and some odd degrees in there. Yeah. I was like this, something's wrong here. And then, so I got out and I sat down by the pool they have there and I was just being, I, I, I still to this day, I don't remember what exactly it could have been, but I was just in a really snarty, mean mood after I got the chills. I had, 
I had the chills for like a good hour and a half and I was just like, people were like, oh, hey, how are you? And they were wanting to talk to me and I was just like, raw, no, we're not doing this right now. I feel like crap. Right. And um, there were a couple times where I actually threw up from being in the sauna due to either being dehydrated or maybe the stuff I was running out. But there was one, I was on 500 niacin and I just threw up for like five days straight. Oh boy. So bizarre. I never threw up the vitamins. I always just threw up what I had eaten for breakfast that morning. And I was like, this is weird. Yeah, but you, like I say, you don't know the long-term effect of some of those drugs that you yeah, get on, you know? And the body's going to purge it any way it can. Exactly. I don't think that that's particularly surprising. I mean, it, I mean, it may have been surprising for you, but in retrospect, listening to you tell it, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like you say, Jason, the body's going to get rid of it one way or the other, so... And then what was it like when you were done with sauna? What did that feel like? When I was done with sauna, it was really... Shocking, because like when I first got here, I was like, "Yes, I want to do this because I don't want to feel like this anymore, and I don't want to have to resort to drugs to deal with my problems." Right? I want to learn how to deal with myself. And but then there was also that little bit of me that was like, "Oh, this isn't gonna work." Blah 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 blah. You're just gonna start using again, right? But I got out of sauna, and I literally was everything looked brighter. My skin had cleared up. Like, I wasn't getting as much acne as I usually did. Um, my mood was just happier, and I, my energy, it was, like, almost rejuvenated. I had it back. I, was, I felt like a bouncy ball, basically, just going from here to there all the time. It was really good. That's awesome. And so then next you do the... Objectives. Um, objectives, right. Yeah. Objectives was fun. Um... At first, it was same with, like, sauna. I was like, oh, my God, what is this going to do? Is this going to even help me? Because you're, you're making me flap my hands up and down, and you're asking me who's doing it, and it's obviously me. But um, there was this one objective. Sauna was – I'm sorry, not sauna. Objectives was great. It was a struggle because it got a lot of, you know, manifestations, which are, like, a physical or emotional reaction out of you. And it got a lot of them out of me. So objectives was great. Um, I got to objective eight. And for that objective, I kept answering myself for the question. And I kept saying me, 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 my reflection, myself, my shoe, this, all this stuff about myself. And I had a realization. And my realization was that how am I going to better understand people and other things around me in my environment if all I'm focused about is myself and I figured out that was one of my little one of my problems that all I cared about was myself and I didn't care about other people and that kind of just you know that kind of made me feel bad after I had just realized that and looked at myself like that like that's kind of like not a nice thing to do yeah but that's also the point of objectives and that's a heavy duty realization but it's one that you have to have Mm mm-hmm yeah and that's what we talk about you and me, Joni, about how, you know, Narcanon gets to the root yeah. of everything, gets to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of what's going on with the person. And it's precisely just that, you know, objectives are, are exercises that these guys do um, for a period of time. And they're, they're designed to get a reaction out of them and they're designed to make them look at themselves and have realizations about their lives. And what Zach 
was saying is that he had a major, like a life-altering realization. And that's the whole point of these exercises. Mm-hmm. Besides getting you back into the present, the here and now, and understanding your environment as it is currently, and getting away from all the past traumas that you went through, but also having realizations about your life is a huge thing because without these exercises, you never would have you never would have thought that. Yeah, you exactly. And, that and Zach, that realization that is really huge for someone who has formerly been addicted. Because let's face it, when you are addicted, all of your attention is on you. Mm-hmm. All of it is on you and how to get high and how to stay high. So to come to the realization that maybe it isn't all about you and that there are others there that, you know, you that are worthy of your attention. I think that's huge. I think that's major. Yeah. So well done you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So that's cool. So and then once you're done with the objectives, then you do. Once you're done with objectives, you go on to life skills. Now, overall, the whole program was great, and it gave me my life back. But life You say that so simply. The program was great. It gave me my life back. It gave you your life back, Zach. It did. It gave me my life back. Like, it gave me my family back, and it gave me my friends back. It just changed everything, and it helped me realize what I had done wrong in life and if I would have kept going down the road, all the people I would have hurt other than just myself. And then I, so back to life skills though, like when I got the life skills, it was, I, I don't even have words for it. They help you deal with all these things you've done to society, groups, your family, Yourself. Myself, living things, physical objects, and I basically wrote down all these, this bad stuff I've done to all these different people and objects, and it's just like with every, and some of these things I've never even told another person, and it's like as you're writing these down, you just feel like this weight lifted off your chest, and you get this like huge relief that you're able to like put it somewhere and be, take responsibility for it and be done with it. Wow. And that's one of the courses. Yeah, that's that's one of courses. That's um, that's personal values. Personal course. values. And then you have ups and downs. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop you for a second, Zach, though, because I think it's really important for the listeners to understand that if you're sitting out there and you are, you know, you are addicted and you have violated every bit of moral code that you have, it may not be real to you that you could confront some of those things and take responsibility mm-hmm. for some of those things and deal with it. But what what you need to understand is that once you've come through the various steps of this program and you get to that point, you can look at it. And it's not a big blame, shame, and regret thing. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a responsibility. I did this. I know I need to take responsibility for it and I know how to do that. And I want to really make sure that people understand that by the time you get there, you will be able to do that. You can't do it now necessarily, but you will be able to do it when you get there. Mm -hmm. So with, um, exactly. I would definitely agree. Cause like 
Basically, when you're, all you're doing is trying to figure out how to get high and stay high all the time, your morals go right out the window. You just you leave them on the curb and you forget about them and you end up doing things you normally wouldn't have done because you just want that quick fix. You want to feel good for like an hour or two. And it's absolutely bizarre all the problems that can uh, all the problems that can occur just from wanting a simple quick fix. Right. And then um they also have a uh, part of the course is called ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And that's where you identify people in your life if they're basically good or bad for you by figuring out if they have antisocial characteristics or if they have social characteristics. Right. And with that, I had to do about like 15, 16 people with, for an antisocial and social characteristics. <laughs> yep. So that took a lot of time. Yeah. And it's eye-opening though, isn't it? It is. Actually, surprisingly enough, with I before I started, I was like, I can already off the bat tell you who's antisocial and who's not. But when I read the book, uh, the course book for Ups and Downs and figured out that, you know, people can have characteristics of it, but not necessarily be one or one or the other. They can be a little bit of both or they could be one or the other. So as I'm going through the booklets and filling them out for my family members, I'm figuring out that they're not as bad as I thought they were. <laughs> like every every now and then they'll have an antisocial characteristic, but majority overall they were social characteristics and they were people who were good for me. And the people who weren't good for me, I ended up uh, disconnecting with and also with ups and downs, you do a part called where you handle your family members, all the people you did a social and antisocial booklet for on your list. And that was probably my favorite part because I had messed up a lot of my relationships with my family and my mom, especially with my mom, my mom and I would fight all the time. And she was she she was a mom, you know, she'd tell me, well, you can't be doing this because this is bad, obviously. And she'd be like, drugs are bad. Why are you doing them? But I would still do them. And then slowly but surely, I would disconnect from all of them. And Narconon gave me an opportunity to call all these people, talk to them and explain to them, you know, I that I wanted to apologize for all the stuff that I had done to them or how I had wronged them and it just gave me a opportunity to actually have a conversation with these people who I had been afraid to talk to and it opened doors and I can now say that my relationship with my family has like gotten a lot better and we actually talk more often than we did when I was using drugs. That's awesome. That's totally awesome. You get to reconnect with people. Yeah, exactly. And awesome. that's after that, you have changing conditions. And with changing conditions, oh, I don't even know how to explain changing conditions. <laughs> well, you got to actually handle your situation in life. Yeah, you actually figure, oh yeah, with changing conditions, you figure out why in the first place you started using drugs. You go way back. Like, you think it's because of this, but they're like, they're like, no, keep thinking, keep thinking, keep thinking, and you figure it out. And I figured mine out, and I was like, wow. Because apparently, when I mean, the reason I started using drugs was because I had all these emotions and all this pressure from family and school, and I did not have, know how to deal with any of it. 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel comfortable going to people and talking about it because I felt like that made me, you know, weak. And I didn't want to be weak. So what I did was I thought, well, hey, let me just cover this up and sweep it under the rug and make myself feel better and just act like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, that didn't work, obviously. No, never does. <laughs> never does. Ever. Ever. And... So you find out the reason why you started using drugs and then you go through all these other conditions and you basically open yourself up to, you introduce, you introduce yourself to other people and you explain to them why you're in liability, which is one of the um, conditions. And then another one, you have to go to the group and basically ask for permission to like rejoin and ask them what they need slash want from you. Right. Because when you have betrayed a group, you become a liability to that group and you can, it's fine for you to take, you know, your own responsibility, but then you kind of have to go back to the group and see, do they want you back or not? Yeah. And you have to ask them what you can do or what they need from what they need from me in this Right, for me exactly. to in order to help become part of the group or gain acceptance back into the group, basically making up damages. Right, exactly. So when did you graduate the program? I graduated the program on the 7th of December, and then I started working here the following day. Awesome. Uh, and a part of the senior student program. Which is a staff training program, so for six months... He's going to be trained on how to be a staff member here. And at the end of six months, he'll have been clean about 10 months. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'll be able to go into uh, various positions around the organization. And uh, after a year, he can be in a direct care position. So it's very cool. After a year, he can be what? Sorry? In a direct care position. Oh, okay, cool. And yeah. is that what you want to do? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've always... Before I started using drugs, I would tell people when they asked me what did I want to do with my life, I always told them something along the lines of, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a teacher, or I want to be a therapist. Something, and the only thing those really have in common is that in some way they're helping somebody. Exactly. And so I thought, well, why not put myself in a position where I've never done anything like this before, get all this knowledge and experience within my six months and learn how to help other people who are going through the same thing that I've gone through with the knowledge that helped me get to the program. I I think it's brilliant. I I applaud you for wanting to do that because I think that Um, You know, I know as with Jason and with certain other staff members there, when you've been through it and you're helping someone go through it, it's just, you you can't put a price on that. It's just so valuable for the people Mm -hmm. who are coming in who, you know, need to experience everything you've experienced, but it's not easy. It's not, you know, we've talked about it before. It's not a, it's not a walk in the park. You want to walk in the park, go do a 28 day thing and, come yeah. out and go right back to drugs. I mean, that'll be, that'll be a walk in the park for you. It's not a walk in the park at Narconon. And I think the fact that um, someone like you, who's been through the whole program and through addiction, I think, I think that's huge that you want to stay there and help out. 
it's definitely like a little confidence boost to the other students because when they first get here, they're, you know, they're really unsure about things and they've all, nine times out of 10, they've all had past experiences with like what you said, the 28 day, 30 day programs that haven't done anything for them. Right. So when they come to a place like here and they see people are working here that were once substance abuse users, it kind of like shows them and lets them believe that, you know, it's possible and that you can definitely feel better about yourself, live a healthier lifestyle and be a part of society again. That's right. Definitely. You can definitely do it. I think, I think that's huge. I think that's great. And your family, have they been to see you since you graduated? Um, not yet, but, uh, I do talk to them once or twice a week. I actually, I just called them the other day for Christmas and my mom, my mom is very proud of me. She's glad that she, you know, she has her son back and that she doesn't have to worry where I'm at and how I'm doing and if I'm safe. And my aunt and my uncle are very proud of me as well. They, Every time I, whenever I was, when I was going through the program and I would call my family, they would just, they were shocked for like a few minutes with each phone call because every time I called, they could tell that I sounded better and that something that I didn't know was missing was back and it registered with them and they could see that, or they could see slash hear that whatever I was doing and was helping me and changing me into a better person. That's awesome. I think that's great. Where, do, where does your family live, Zach? Well, originally my family's from North Carolina, but my uh, parents live in Dalton, Georgia. Well, you'll have to send them the link to this podcast so they can listen to your interview. And I can say to your mom that I've seen you and you look great. Well, thank you. I've actually been bragging to them about this for like a little bit now. Oh, good. I'm going to be on a podcast. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. I hope I do good. Like here. I actually, my aunt, she's actually listened to a few of them already. Oh, good. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, she'll definitely enjoy this. This is going to go up on New Year's Day. Um Jason, anything you want to add? No, I think this is a great interview, and I think Zach is a shining example of what not only the program can do for a person, but really how marijuana can royally mess up your life. Yes, yeah. I it's agree. Definitely, it definitely leads to other and harsher drugs, but it does mess you up. Yes, yes. As we have discussed, listen well, everybody out there who thinks it should be legalized. Never, never, never. Not Never, in this not country. Under my, not under our watch. Not on our watch. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, listen, Zach, thank you so much for talking to us today. Jason, thank you so much. Of course, yeah, you as well. And um, we'll talk again um, next, next week. week. Actually, we'll be doing an interview. We'll be interviewing the um, sheriff of Pinellas County, and that one will go up next week. So Very cool. Y'all, Happy New Year to everybody listening. And make this make 2018 the year of treatment and sobriety and a better life for everybody. I like it, Joni. Okay. Take care. See you next week. Okay. 
You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 